The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Well, we've got to talk about reopening and we will look at that in some detail uh, later on. But first, it's uh, Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. How's it going? It's going very well. Uh, What's your reaction to this road map to reopening? Is it the right thing to do? I think it looks good, Pat. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're they're making these decisions uh, based on hopefully data and advice from uh, NEFIT, but I think it's the right way to go. Again, we need a bit of caution, though, remember, and this stepwise approach is well, is well justified, especially, Pat, with the vaccine campaign. I mean, I'm very happy with NIAC's latest recommendations. You may have seen that, you know. So the under 50s um, can have one shot if they've been infected already. That's great, instead of two shots. So that means there'll be more vaccine available. And most of all, Pat, for the over 60s, uh, four weeks after a single shot of AstraZeneca, they now begin to get the vaccine dividend. Isn't that great? And of course, they were the group that were really put upon and there was caused massive consternation for understandable reasons. They felt they were being victimized, you know. But now that gives them a slight bit of comfort, I suppose, because instead of waiting, say, 12 weeks, after four weeks now of a single shot of AstraZeneca, you, you can now, you know, as I say, benefit from the vaccine dividend. So, so that's it. Four weeks after AstraZeneca, you've got a, a huge whack of protection. Um, The the worry, I suppose, is that people will just go mad when they think that uh, it's the all clear. It's not quite the all clear, though, is it? Because there'll still be some people who might be vulnerable. It's very important, Pat, to say the credit phrase we're not there yet. And Chile tells us that. But Chile achieved 40% of its population having a one-shot vaccine. And then there was a massive surge because 60% weren't vaccinated, you know. So we've got to wait till we get to the 80% number, really, before we can really think about more relaxations. That's why this stepwise process is very advised, because so many people still aren't vaccinated, you see. So so again, we need to be cautious. But the ones who get vaccinated, as I say, it was great they've announced this dividend. I mean, you probably saw as well, at the three vaccinated households can meet up indoors now after they're vaccinated obviously and then grandparents can meet their grandkids with the vaccine dividend so if you're in your 60s and you've one shot of AstraZeneca four weeks later you can go and meet your grandkids and that's a great thing I think as I say they've, they've given them a bit of sucker there you know because they, they yeah. picked on them and that's a really good thing and this is all based on, on the science of the thing. This is not just yeah. kind of guesswork. They now have the data. By the way, um, you send me details of uh, a trial that Valneva are going to run. Now, you and I have been talking about Valneva before this vaccine, which is, you know, yet to be given approval. Explain why Valneva might be so important going forward. Yeah, it's another, another vaccine. And as we've been discussing, there's several more vaccines coming down the track. I mean, I'm amazed, Pat, at the, the number of vaccines. I mean, all this debate about AstraZeneca versus Pfizer, who'd have thought we'd, we'd be fighting over different vaccines? It's incredible, isn't it? But this, this is the next one, Valneva. They're now starting their phase three trial. Now, Valneva, that one is a very interesting vaccine because it's a hold inactivated virus, which means there's many different parts of the virus there. And it's inactivated, so it can't cause disease. That's it's perfectly safe, you know, and a very powerful adjuvant, which can kick off the immune system and they got great data you see from their their phase one and phase two trials and now the phase three is beginning they're going to have a 4,000 participants which is a good number for this by the way and they're saying now if that works and there's no reason why it won't based on what we know already uh, by the autumn that could be approved and that will be a very powerful vaccine and it could work against all the variants you see which of course are in our minds yeah. so again it's, it's, it's yet more evidence that the vaccine companies are ramping up hugely you know and so Valneva gives another option I suppose.
Yeah, I suppose uh, there's no point in us talking about Valneva if our government um, don't seem to be aware of it. I remember talking to Stephen Donnelly about this, didn't seem to know about Valneva. He was a bit confused with uh, the Johnson & Johnson or Janssen, as it's also called. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's an interesting test because it's comparing. They thought it would be unethical to give people a placebo vaccine, you know, that you, you yeah. get nothing yeah. in your arm. So they're giving them AstraZeneca and comparing because they, yeah. they know how AstraZeneca works. So instead of a placebo one crowd get AstraZeneca and the other crowd get this new vaccine, Valneva. That's right. It's an ethical question. You can't let people go unvaccinated now because we know if the virus is there, it might infect them, you see. So, so the control group has to be a different vaccine. And they'd be looking for superiority. Watch that. I bet you that's, that often happens in trials, by the way. You compare your medicine with one that's there already to show it's better. You know? So they'd be looking to see if it is better. But even if it's as good, that's fine. Because remember, they, they, their marketing people will say this will work against variants as well, you see. So, yeah. But it's very interesting, isn't it? And, and it's ramping up massively. And you're right. I mean, the UK have ordered a, a few million doses of it. I don't see why we can't. Or And remember, Valneva have decided to go country by country. They, they've um, left the EU system for whatever reason, you know. So Ireland could order Valneva now, you know, advanced purchase, and I'd recommend that. Yeah, and they wouldn't have to pay for it if it didn't get approval, because, I mean, you'd, exactly. you don't buy a, yeah, that's right. your new motor without your guarantee. Um, what's yeah. the word, by the way, on um, doses of vaccine and transmission? Because this is one of the things people are still concerned about. You know, I'm vaccinated, therefore I'm OK, but maybe I could pick it up and give it to other people. What's the latest news there? Well, what's amazing is, I mean, in the UK and Israel, all the immunologists are studying millions of people now, basically, because we have a real world vaccination campaign, you know, and we're getting fantastic data every day, new data comes. And, and, and the good news is, but all the data is fantastic. It seems too good to be true at times, but everything they measure, it looks great. And that study, one shot of Pfizer in the UK was decreasing transmission by 50%. It was a 57,000 people study, a huge study of people who had one shot of Pfizer, and they followed them, you know, and tried to see who they were infecting in their households who weren't vaccinated and there was a 50% decrease in transmission even with one shot which is incredibly powerful vaccine if you think about it. In other words those people now are not spreading it half as much and that means the or not plummets just by giving a single shot you see so it was brilliant. The second one that was in that study Pat is a very important point. They've now said that the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines in the UK and that's mainly AstraZeneca have saved 10,500 people's lives for definite in the over 60s isn't that great? So they they have real world data with AstraZeneca in particular saving people's lives who are over 60 hence my constant saying it's a very safe efficacious vaccine you know so again those sorts of things are giving us more and more confidence I guess that's why NIAC are as you said Pat NIAC are responding to this data you see because they're seeing all the data as well and based on that data they can then change the recommendations which is great Yeah and based on what you said after four weeks after you've had your first uh, AstraZeneca shot you're pretty much protected and that yeah. should give comfort to people who've had the uh, AstraZeneca and were a bit worried about clotting and That's all right. the rest of it, which is so rare they shouldn't be worried about it. But there you go. Now, there's more news from Pfizer and its uh, ability to protect against variants. What is the news? Yeah, there's, there's two other big things, actually. One is um, in the US, they've noticed, and this is a very interesting study, where it was a healthcare worker was given uh, was infected and <clears throat> went into a nursing home, a care home, right? And 90% of people in that care home had been vaccinated. 
And the question was, would that person then start infecting people who had been vaccinated? And luckily, many were protected. It was 86% protection in the care home, but some did get infected. And that can happen. You can get what are called breakthrough infections. But the ones who were infected all had a variant. It was the R1 variant. This is one you wouldn't have heard of. There's many variants out there. But the R1 has this eek mutation, which is common in, say, South Africa as well. And lo and behold, some people did get infected. But the great news was that none progressed into severity. Now, what this means is that the Pfizer vaccine for the start, and we were hoping for this, will protect against variants. In other words, you won't be getting severe disease and you won't be ending up in hospital. You might get infected, but it won't progress, you know. And that's the evidence we're looking for. We're hoping now that, that the vaccines will protect against the variants in terms of disease severity. And that was a really good study. A second study, this is amazing how much data is coming, you know. A second study in the U.S. by the Rockefeller University. Again, two people got infected post-vaccination, but again, it was a variant and they didn't develop severe disease. So now we're getting good evidence that the vaccine should protect against severity with, with variants as well, you know, and that's a worry yeah. we've had. So that's another really good piece of data. Now, there's something called the ripple effect, vaccinating adults and how that might protect children. Explain. Yeah, now again, this is in Israel. And, and as you can imagine, I think about 9 million people vaccinated in Israel at this stage, and every one of them is being followed, if you know what I mean, and they're monitoring it in all kinds of ways. And the Maccabee Healthcare Service in Tel Aviv, it's one of the world's best healthcare services anywhere. You know, their records are brilliant. They followed 223 Israeli communities who'd been vaccinated, and they just looked at spread and all the various things. And they noticed that children weren't getting infected. This is great news because what this means is you're achieving kind of a herd immunity there in a way, you know, and if many people are vaccinated, the risk of children who haven't been vaccinated picking up the infection is much lower. Now, that's a really good piece of news because that means we may not need to vaccinate children. And that's going to become a big issue in the coming weeks and months. Watch that. Is that justifiable or not? And there's, there's a case not to vaccinate them because they don't get very sick, you see. And, and the only reason to vaccinate them will be to get to herd immunity. But if you can achieve that in the adult population, then that definitely doesn't justify vaccinating children, you know. And that Maccabee study supports that. But watch, we're going to have a very live debate now yeah. in countries about should, should we roll out the vaccine to the under-18s. And there's trials running, Pat, as you know. If a single trial shows any kind of ill effect, we're not going to vaccinate children. That's the bottom line, you know, because, again, it's unethical because they're not at risk. of Other vaccines we give to children, remember, are to protect them against disease. You know, when you give some a measles vaccine and so on. With this disease, it doesn't really affect children. So it's going to be a very interesting debate, isn't it? There will be a press for us because of herd immunity. But that Maccabee study suggests you can achieve herd immunity without vaccinating the children. So that's a really good development, I think. Now, your next topic is saliva and how that might be used to test for COVID-19. Yeah, but again, as you know, Pat, the swab, have you had the swab test yourself? I don't know if you've ever had it, but yeah. it's, very, it's very invasive, isn't it? You know, uh, and we're trying to replace swab tests, and one option will be saliva. Now, again, this is a bit like you and me banging on about antigen testing, and, and they should repl- bring it in. They could well begin to bring in saliva tests instead of swabs, and, and that would be very useful because it's much less invasive and, and it's easier to do. You know, a big study, saliva is as good as swabs. It was 98.6% sensitive, you know, uh, or, or sorry, it was 98.6% as good as a swab, almost the same as a swab, maybe 1% or 2% less, but still a very high level of sensitivity. And that means saliva may replace the swab test. And the reason is interesting, Pat, they, we think the virus can live in your tonsils. Isn't that amazing? And then goes into your saliva, because obviously it's, a, it's, it's in your airways, and, and the virus getting into your saliva is less, less possible if it's an airway disease. But yet they're detecting it in saliva. So, so again, that's another good development, because we, we may see saliva tests replacing the swab. 
Okay, that'll be very good because, uh, you know, when we talk about self-testing with antigen testing, which I've done myself um, several times and the whole family has done antigen testing to make sure that people were not infected. Uh, But you do have to stick the thing up your nose and down your throat. So if you could just spit in something uh, and have the appropriate device, like a pregnancy test, to, to do it quickly. I mean, that's the challenge for the, the technologists who are going to bring this to market. Exactly. Yeah, that's right, exactly right. And they're working very hard on this because it would be a great winner, wouldn't it? You can imagine a saliva test would trump all the swab tests, wouldn't it? It would dominate the market, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a big justification for pursuing yeah. that. Now, some quick questions from Newstalk listeners. What about children who have underlying conditions, uh, compromised immune systems and so on? Would they still be best vaccinated? Yeah, they would. Yeah, that, that, that's the important point to make. They'd be vulnerable, you see, so they might be at a higher risk of disease. So therefore, you'd be sensible to vaccinate children who are at risk of things. And that'll be part of the debate, watch, because you want to protect the children if they're at risk. The, the, the regular child, if you will, the healthy child is less justifiable. But certainly that's an important point. Now, this one, uh, why are we getting a second shot if we're OK after four weeks following our first AstraZeneca shot? That's from Anne. That's a great question. That's a really important question. And it's, a, it's an unusual one because uh, they probably will recommend the second shot, remember. You still take it, but, you, but you'll still have your vaccine bonus after four weeks, if you know what I mean. The reason for the second shot is actually very simple. The first shot, you put on your suit of armor, and that protects you. The second shot reinforces the armor and tightens up the screws. There's a good analogy for you. So it makes it even stronger. And it's pretty strong anyway. But the second shot really will give you a durable response that might go on for much longer. And there's good evidence for this. In fact, you get a thing called affinity maturation in the immune system, which means that the first shot brings the, the immune system, wakes it up, if you like, and then it gets more mature with the second shot. Uh, and that more mature state may work better against variants, you know, because it's a bit better. It's a bit more effective, basically. So the advice probably will be to have the second shot. But the important thing is the first shot has given you substantial protection, you see. So, so that, that's why they decided to go. It's at least 77% protection after the first shot, for instance, which is really high, you know. And and the idea that someone who's had COVID, uh, when uh, they go to get vaccinated, they would only need one shot because they're getting the double. They're getting their own bodily reaction from having COVID and then they get a vaccine which gives the double whammy. Yeah, that's why we can claim that fact. Because again, a study in the UK has shown if you've been infected and you've had one shot of Pfizer, that gives a fantastic immune response. Now, now what I mean by fantastic is you get a really ramped up response and it may work against the variants. They, they took blood from people actually who'd been infected, right, and then had one shot of Pfizer and that blood could neutralize variants, you see. So because, because the antibodies are really good at that stage, you know. So again, that justifies um, two shots or, or one shot as you say after an infection is similar because that, that's like having two shots anyway. Um, Luke said the virus may lurk on the tonsils. Would gargling with an alcohol-based mouthwash regularly help as a line of defence? That's from Paddy. People are looking at mouthwashes and various things for definite. But remember, the problem is getting into your lungs. So, in other words, that might prevent that happening. But it might prevent transmission, of course, because one reason for transmission might be through saliva. But it's something that uh, people are looking into. Uh, someone asked why are antigen tests so expensive well you hear them advertised but the government is capable of buying them from companies like Innova or whatever for a five or a pop so you know if the government was to buy them they wouldn't be expensive uh, when they're sold in packs of three or five or ten uh, obviously yeah. the the costs go, go up um, what about the 
advice that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and AstraZeneca prevent severe illness or hospitalisation with variants. What about uh, the long-tail COVID people and also the effects of moderate cases of COVID-19? That's from John in Dublin too. Well, again, uh, there's a massive activity going on with vaccinating people with long COVID, as we discussed, you know, and, and, and lots of people have long COVID, remember, and they're now being followed closely post-vaccination. And the hope is the vaccine will get them relief. And as I mentioned, there's anecdotal evidence in favour of that, which is tremendous. And let, let's hope that's statistically proven. You've got to watch these anecdotal things. They sometimes don't pan out, you know. But certainly everybody who has had long COVID now in the UK and Israel, for example, who has, has been vaccinated, are measuring them closely just to see if it really leaves long COVID. And wouldn't that be tremendous? Because long COVID is a very troubling aspect of this disease. So we're going to watch that one. Again, as I say, Pat, every day there's more data coming from Israel and the UK, given millions, and and the US, by the way, because millions are vaccinated there as well. So we should learn more about that in the coming weeks. Mm. Uh, A final one now. It's about the unborn and the vaccination of pregnant women. Um, Probably too soon to actually have any info on the babies born um, to those vaccinated. That, that's true, yeah. But what we know about previous vaccinations, they don't really harm the unborn, you see, and there's good evidence for that. And then secondly, there are animal studies, which we, we do in this situation. Again, no evidence, you know. So that's why we can be confident there shouldn't be any harm here. And then the recommendation now, but very clear, isn't it? The pregnant women should be vaccinated because, remember, they're at risk. See, it's the usual risk-benefit yeah. aspect, you know. Now, we'd be pretty confident that, that a baby being born to a vaccinated mother will be fine. You know, we're very confident of that. All right, Luke, on that note, Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin, uh, thank you very much. 